1: Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, which I am contractually obliged to mention is your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name is George Culkin and I'm joined this week by the wonderful Christopher Waffler. How are you doing, Chris?
2: I am fine, thank you. find it a little bit strange hearing you introduce the podcast, but at the same time I am okay.
1: Well, this is my moment to shine, Chris. We thought, you know, I've I've been waiting for my big break, my big moment. Maybe this is, yeah, this is my time to shine, to prove I can do this, to to show that I can, I, I deserve my place on the big stage. And honestly, do you think you've fulfilled that? No, I think it's already sounding pretty bad. Actually, we should say we should say hello and send love to Taylor, uh, who's not able to be with us uh, this week. So we send him lots of love and happy Very thoughts, so. and we'll just have to try and crack on and do our best, do our best without him, won't we?
2: Yes, well, you're back this week, George. Well, wh- where were you last week?
1: Well, I had a bit of time off, um, which was uh, which was very nice because I didn't have to have any dealings with you uh, in particular. And um, today, though, I've just been hanging out in the staff canteen with uh, certain Big Al, you know, our new work colleague. We've uh, uh, having a having a good chat about the GGs over a plate of. Um, Shepherd's pie, and he—it's poker night tonight, so he's inviting us round. um I mean, I'm sure you've got your invite to that, have you, Chris?
2: Well, I think that I'm sort of like B-list reserve. I am a little bit disappointed though because I did—I was under the impression that he was replacing you. So it is—it is you and Big Al together. It's not—it's not. It's not...
1: Yes, I'm. I'm. Well, I'm very much the senior partner in this relationship. Um, no, that's not true at all. But no, I'm really very happy that he's joined us. He's already done a couple of pieces. I'm um, helping him out with them where I can. So yeah, the that first big interview you did with Kenny Leash, which was great to listen into and uh, hear those two two great fellows talking. Talking about all those stories, whether it was Blackburn or Newcastle, um, yes, Alan did a piece this week on what it's like to suffer from and recover from an ACL injury, which obviously uh, Virgil van Dijk is going through at the moment after that horrible uh, challenge on him by Jordan Pickford. So that's something that Alan has um, experience of, sadly, when he was at Blackburn, and he came back as good as ever and went on to have the three best goal-scoring Years of his life at uh, at Blackburn, so yeah, that's very exciting news. I'm sure he will want to talk about Newcastle at some point as well. So look forward to that. And we don't actually have a staff canteen, do we? Sadly, so we're at home. So I made that up to make us sound better than we actually are, which is just two fairly tragic figures recording in our own homes.
2: Yes, but everyone already knows that, so we don't. need We can just gloss over that fact. But just on Fine. the the piece, just the cruciate ligament piece, and obviously it is terrible what's happened to Virgil van Dyke and the fact that Alan Shearer went through and there's some some very interesting details there about how difficult it is coming back and this probably says a lot more about me than anything but the the bit that struck me most and it was when he was talking about that he came back and scored his first goal and he mentions that it's at the Gallagher end and that just shows like only but obviously he's playing for Blackburn at this stage the fact that he mentioned that specific detail, I think, says a lot about just how much the club actually meant to him even before he came back. So that sort of struck me a little bit that I found that. That, that yeah, bit I stuck
1: mean, out a bit. yeah, typically scoring against us. But um, but yeah, no. I mean, he because I sort of said, was there a moment? Was there a kind of like a eureka moment when he or you know a moment where he went into a tackle and tested the knee again. And was he worried? Was it that sort of sense? And he said that was actually the moment. So it's sort of quite a nice little story that that was the moment because he had to run in to get onto the ball. So he proved to himself that he could still sprint and then scoring the goal, he proved to himself he could still finish. He could still kick the ball hard. That was actually the moment when he he just finally knew that he was going to be okay. But yeah, slightly typically that it was against Newcastle. Anyway, so we better talk about... What's been happening this week and what's going to happen at the at the weekend, perhaps. So the first, I suppose, most obvious thing to to chat about is the fact that Newcastle have now finally submitted their first team squad for the Premier League, as indeed have all other clubs in the division. You've written a piece about that this week. We weren't really given any huge surprises in that list, were we? But there's still a few things to that we should talk about.
2: Yeah, it wasn't um, really overly surprising. Um, I have written a piece which is available on The Athletic at the minute. There is still a £1 a month offer for the pod listeners at the moment. So if you visit theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod, that's athletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod, you can take advantage of that and go and read it. But essentially, the points that I was looking at within it is, where are they still short? And I still think that the, the obvious one is up front without Wilson they really look very, very short of firepower. There was a bit of a worrying moment during the Manchester United game where he did pull up and did look like he was in trouble and uh, there was a few worried glances from from the bench, but he, he was able to carry on. But if Wilson gets injured, then you really worry about them up front what was interesting was one of the main talking points one of the main debating issues that I know was spoken about behind the scenes was whether Dwight Gale should be included in the squad because obviously last season when Paul Dummett was injured and when Jetro Williams got injured they were taken out of the squad for the second half of the season Gale Touch and go whether he'll definitely be back this year, but there's a bit of a more positive prognosis over the last few weeks, and I think he may be back in early December. So he has made the squad, as has Matt Ritchie, who's out with a shoulder problem, but again, should probably be back in a month or so. And instead, that the unlucky person who misses out really is, is Christian Attu, because you look at the others Lazar was never going to make it, Savé was never going to make it, and Roland aarons was never going to make it. And then it was sort of between Giandre Edlin, who As we've spoken about before on the podcast, as I've written about, there was a strong possibility he was going to leave this summer. Uh, It hasn't ended up leaving, and so Yedlin gets the nod, and instead Christian Atsu finds himself uh, outside the squad and sort of in a bit of limbo, like a few of them are.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel like, as you say, it doesn't feel like there was anything in there that was particularly shocking, but I just don't think there were those options. Anyway, I'm the same as you. I am The one I'm worried about is is Callum Wilson, uh, and to a lesser extent... Alan San-Maxima. I only say to a lesser extent because he is less he would be less easy to sort of replace anyway. But yeah, it's those it's those options and attack that really seem skinny. And I think I'm sure that's why Gail has been included that even if he's only back for a couple of weeks or a month um this year, that that's they would be kind of crazy not to at least have that have that option so I'm sure that I'm sure that's why they've they've taken that decision there were no no surprises about people leaving or indeed coming in at the end so uh so fair enough so that's that's what we've that's what we've got and to kind of reiterate what we've been saying over the past few weeks I think there's a good I think it's a good squad now um you can make the argument that this might be their best squad um since coming back up but there are still weak points and there are still areas for concern if they get injuries. You were at the under-23 game this week as well, weren't you? In which uh, we saw some players uh, continue their comebacks from injury and we saw the first sighting of a... New signing.
2: Yes, so I was at Saint James's on Monday for the under twenty threes. It's the first time I've seen the twenty threes play the season because when they're playing at the training ground, due to COVID restrictions, even the, the media can't get in. So uh, with them being at Saint James's, it was it was a big game really in, in terms of who was involved. Matty Longstaff played for the first time this season. The same with with Paul Dummett and Kieran Clark made, I think it was his third appearance the season, but Clark and Dummett played 60 minutes which was always the plan, Matty Longstaff just the first half, again, was the plan as they start to return from injury, so it's good to see them back, which lessens a bit of the uh, injury concern at centre back, particularly because Newcastle have had a few issues there, obviously they tried to sign one during the summer weren't able to, and so it's good to, to, to see that the that, that Dummett and Clark are back. The new signing who's was, who was on show, is, there's been a lot of excitement about uh, Rodrigo Vilca, 21 year old Peruvian uh, signed for I think it's initial about £250,000 he's very much coming as a development squad signing but he is in theory available f- for the Premier League squad because he was 21, under the age of 21 at the start of January he could be brought into the squad if necessary, I've had a lot of questions from fans saying oh what, what was he like a lot of interest from Peruvian the amount of uh, Peruvian uh, people who message about this because it's huge news across there, Peruvian coming across to a Premier League club whether he's likely to be involved with the first team this season, I'd say that that's highly unlikely at this stage. There was definitely, you can see the raw material is there, he's got a very good touch and him, good vision, but it also, a lot of work needs to be done in terms of physicality, learning the pace of the game, adaptation. That's what Newcastle have, have, have brought him in for. The initial plan was for him to be part of the development squad. He may go out and loan in January. I think unless he really excels, we're highly unlikely to see him involved in the first team in the next 12 months or so. But, uh, interesting that they have Bolster the, the the squad in that sense because he there is quite a lot of excitement in terms of what this what Vilka can potentially turn into.
1: I'm very happy to see Paul Dummett back. I must say, um, I do think he's the kind of player that you really do miss when he's not in the in the team. I do wonder though. I mean, and I know you mentioned this in your piece, where there is now a place for him and if there's a place for him, because Newcastle have now spent fairly substantially on uh, Jamal Lewis over the summer. Uh, and he's young and very highly regarded and has done well so far and can offer something in attack. Paul Dummer obviously plays at left-back or has played at left-back. I've always thought that his best position would be at centre-half, but he's not necessarily a natural fit in a four-man defence, is he?
2: No, he isn't. And so you'd think he's probably best suited to, if they were to go back to five at the back and be the left centre-back. He is a more defensive option at left-back though and I think that in some big games when Newcastle maybe struggle down that left-hand side when they think they're going to need a defensive player then that's where you can bring Dummett in because (laughs) Jamal Lewis and Alan St-Maximin as we've mentioned a few times in this podcast defensively they are lacking. They're very good going forward, but if you're against a team where has a strong right-hand side, I think that you may look for Paul Dummett there. He can play in a four-man defensive centre-back, but I do think he's best suited to being the left sort of centre-back. So he's a sort of versatility option. I don't think he's going to be... First choice by any stretch, but but I agree that he's definitely someone you want in the squad. And he is sporting a sort of... I think he, he's got like blonde tints in his hair at the minute, I noticed the other day. So that was uh, that was interesting to see. Paul Dummett coming out of his shell a little bit.
1: He's done that before, hasn't he? He dyed his yeah. hair white at one point, didn't he? Or grey or something. Yeah, Saw I think he fox. did, yeah. Awful. I mean, Paul Dummett's <laughs> doing something like that. It's I mean, you expect it of Alan Pardew. I realised that the game had officially gone when he came into training... One day there was an open training session and he had white boots, you know. And he said that day, if you can't beat them, join them. And it's like, I'm sorry, that is the death of football. Never mind, never mind pay per view, never mind the top six leaving, whatever, bollocks. Alan Pardew wearing white boots was the sign of the apocalypse. Paul Dummett with sort of tinted hair. I'm just, I just, I don't think he's better than that. You know, he's, he's belt and braces. He's like Greg's. He should be, he should be wearing black boots.
2: Yeah, I, I I I sort of quite like it though that he's sort of trying to be something maybe he isn't. He doesn't seem overly comfortable doing it and yet it's oh I am trying to change my image sort of thing. I, I'm I'm a little bit more of a fan of it of him than that. Right. For that. Right, but I, in terms of now you've mentioned uh, some of those things, you you obviously weren't here last week when Taylor had a very good rant about uh, well, both pay-per-view and project whatever bollocks it was. Um, I can't remember big what it's picture. called. There's been so many it's big, it's p- been big so picture, many, I think it's called
1: There's been so many bloody projects. Well, too many projects.
2: There are far too many projects, particularly when they're being concocted by uh, a cartel of six or a cartel of two, as it seemed to be, because it didn't. It seemed yeah. that some leaders even distanced themselves from it. But but George, in terms of, well, let's deal with that first. Then what what were, what were your what was your reaction to project big picture? What what were your thoughts on the idea? Well, that, that... Uh,
1: if I if I can if I can reverse that slightly, I I listened to the podcast last week and I listened to it when I was running and I have to say I was fueled by Taylor's anger and that was very good and but and I'm also furious although my fury my, my fury has a slightly different target because the target of my fury is actually you and can I explain to you why
2: <laughs> i i mean i thought that you were always furious at me anyway but this seems no, to be this is, special this, is occasion.
1: this is i mean this is just genuine white hot fury right because i seem to remember A few weeks ago, you were in one of your, like, narky moods, right? And you called me up on shortening Alan St. Maximan's name to ASM. Am I correct? I did, yes. Right. Last week, you had the nerve to shorten Pay Per View to P Per V, which is the most pointless (laughs) nickname shortening ever. And... Is, is frankly, it's it's offensive. I mean, ASM is actually good shorthand for Alain St-Maxima. It's easier to say, it's quicker. He's a, per- he's a person. Yeah, but changing pay-per-view to P per v is ut- utterly well, I, pointless. I just
2: said that incorrectly. It's meant to be PPV, and I said it incorrectly. That was That's just me. Well, you said P per too.
1: v Well, that's and P- out of turn. Well, V is not easier to say than pay-per-view. It's, it doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever. So that was my fury. I was more angry about that than having to people having to spend 15 quid to actually buy that load of rubbish. But anyway, yes, the whole project big picture thing. I mean, it's just sort of... Uh, if they want to go, then my very strong advice would be, please go ahead and leave. We don't want you. We don't need you. And it's such, it's such a naked attempt to change the balance of power in the Premier League and throughout the whole of football to take away competitiveness, to take away that whole idea that everybody is an equal. We know that they're not, of course, but because there are clubs that already, you know, have shitloads of money and others that don't. But the the, the sort of the nerve of ostensibly offering money that clubs are desperate for at the moment, particularly lower league clubs, um, and then sort of bringing this in on the quiet where only the bigger clubs... Uh, you know, can, can effectively get to decide what they want, to effectively rule football is astonishing. I was really annoyed about the pay-per-view thing as well. It strikes me that, you know, there are Newcastle fans, you wrote a great piece about this, Chris, where, you know, Newcastle fans have, those who are tied to long-term season ticket deals, have had their money taken a long time ago. There are still people paying direct debits for season tickets at the moment. They've not seen any games, didn't see games at the back end of last season. People subscribe to Sky and BT and spend a a lot of money for it. And then the one other thing that has been mentioned a bit less is the fact that Newcastle took advantage of taxpayers' money over during lockdown to furlough their staff. So effectively, I mean, okay, fine. Did we pay directly to that? Well, we pay our taxes, and so we've contributed to that. And so, people are being asked to pay three or four times at the moment and I just think you know I'm not blaming Newcastle directly for this because it's not you know they were part of that collective decision but it sent out all the wrong messages to me at a time when we're all supposed to be in it together everybody is suffering and I hated it and the one thing I wanted to say as a positive thing about it was that it is just absolutely brilliant and astonishing it's not really surprising um, when you think about the fan base, but twenty thousand quid has been raised for the for the Newcastle fans food bank by people instead of giving fourteen ninety five to uh, to Sky to watch that game, actually donating to something which will go a long way to saving lives, improving lives at a time when it's really needed. That's that is you know what footballs should be about at the minute and should be doing. Um, so full of admiration for the people who, who got that together and the people that keep the food bank running on a, on a daily basis.
2: I want to echo all of you, your comments there, the likes of of Bill Kacour and every single person who's involved in the the NUSC fans food bank, and every single person who donated now or has donated in the past and will donate in the future, and beyond just the Newcastle food bank, I've seen the, the amount of clubs now picking up on this and raising. I think the Burnley fans food bank raised more than twenty grand as well. Loads and loads of them are doing it, and so often football fans, we see negative headlines that. Uh, That they're made out as if football fans are the very worst of us well this has shown that football fans can also be the very best of us and I think that that is it's brilliant to to have seen and uh, I just think £15 as a price point was ludicrous even without the the points that you've already raised and that that I raised in my piece last week but The fact that instead so much money is going towards good causes and people are shunning it uh see that neither sky sports nor bt sport would release their figures which is unsurprising because i just don't certainly i mean what was it west brom against who were they playing on monday whoever that game was i mean why west brom burnley i mean who was gonna if you're a neutral you're definitely not gonna pay for that and it seems like a lot of burnley fans certainly didn't so i hope that the numbers were rubbish
0: how's the bacon did you say
1: You know, I took the decision not to not to watch it as a you know as a journalist, someone who follows Newcastle and writes about Newcastle. I felt a bit guilty about that, but I also really didn't want to, and so I kind of went through that very old fashioned thing of uh, listening on the radio, uh, which is kind of great, and uh, I also watched it on Twitter, as it were, which is not old fashioned at all and is slightly less great, and then I watched the highlights on match of the day. So it was sort of. Quite interesting, and I I did want to talk to you a bit about that sort of whole point of the way things can be perceived and the way things sort of actually are, because you were were in the stadium. Now, I was following it on Twitter, and according to Twitter, it was probably the worst game that Newcastle have played under Steve Bruce in terms of the sort of the level of uh, sort of vitriol and... Uh, sort of dismissing of the way Newcastle played, albeit that they were kind of beaten very late on in the game, and so that was the way I was sort of perceiving it. I was thinking, "Oh my God, this sounds terrible. I need to need to chat to Chris about this." And then, obviously, our colleague Alan Shearer was uh, was you know was pretty sort of brutal on match of the day as well. But you, you, your response to it was sort of different, wasn't it? And sort of inside the stadium, it didn't feel quite as bad as as was made out outside.
2: Yes, and I just want to preface my answer here by saying that please listen to the the whole of my answer before you (laughs) rant at me on social media, which I'm sure you will anyway. But it was strange because there's absolutely no doubt that Manchester United deserved to win. And I think if the game had finished 2-0, you would have said this was a comfortable win for Manchester United. Newcastle were thoroughly outplayed. That was deserved. But as you say, there was this reaction as if it it was the worst performance ever. And I don't think Man United were brilliant. I don't think they were as good as some people are making out they were. I don't think Newcastle were quite as bad as as some people were making out. I think that they were passive. I think they allowed Man United too much possession, too much territory, too much of the ball, and... They in no way deserved anything out of the game but if that performance was just an isolation if that was just one game i think you could almost write it off but the problem is that it isn't and this is in a wider context of the amount of times we've seen newcastle playing this way or be almost seemingly as passives almost allow that the opposition that, as I said before, the territory, the space, the ability to, to to get shots away, to to have all these opportunities, and the majority of the shots that Man United had, they had twenty-seven efforts, the majority of the ones they had, were either straight at Carl Dale from quite a distance or were poor and they they were poorly executed. But the issue was Newcastle just allowed them to do that, and and really Man United were wasteful with them. So although Steve Bruce. Some of his answers after the game I thought were a bit strange, and I don't think he responded particularly well to some some of the criticism that came out. I also can see what he was saying to a little to a, to a small extent about Newcastle still being in the game. I don't think they were still in the game because they'd actually done anything well. I think they were still in the game because Manchester United's finishing was poor and that they didn't take control of their chances. I also don't think it was a four or five one defeat. Yes, you can point to twenty seven shots and say, well, I had twenty seven shots, but actually. I think that this is it's what was more concerning for me was the wider context of how Newcastle's been playing rather than just Saturday as an isolated incident.
1: It's I mean, I just find this whole thing fascinating and it's the it's the world we live in at the minute and it's the era that we're going through at the moment. This very strange, sort of peculiar coronavirus football that we're watching at the minute, where suddenly the judge and jury is removed from the stadium and it goes elsewhere and I can't sort of emphasise enough how surreal it is to be inside a stadium watching a match because we've all kind of got used to hearing the, the fake crowd noises when we're watching on television. I try and turn it off when I can because I don't want that fakeness. But, you know, we're used to it. It's the same on the radio. You still hear it there as well. And being in a stadium is so surreal because there's nothing, there is nothing to spark off something else. So if there's a good tackle it's silence. If there's a goal, it's silence, apart from, you know, a handful of people on the coaching staff or in the director's box cheering. You're relying on your own emotion to sort of tell you what's happening, as or, you know, your own reading of the game to tell you what's happening, as opposed to bouncing off the crowd. Now, the crowd, 52,000 people, might not all have the same opinion, but they will all, or a majority of them, will be making the same sort of noises if there's a goal or a tackle or a bad foul or you know whatever and so you have something to to, to sort of relate that to and it same goes for a really bad performance you're just like oh okay they've just booed the team off that's not good or they're calling for the manager's head that's not good and we're in this kind of void where everybody is sort of screaming on social media I think it probably is worse than it has been in the past because know it's more untethered now because again it's not it's like you, you can you can have a conversation with someone on twitter who's saying Steve Bruce needs to be sacked he needs to be sacked he needs to be sacked you could always say in return well okay I understand what you're saying but firstly there's the you know the league table might tell you something else or so on and so forth but the stadium the stadium the final arbiter was supportive or quiet or didn't have the same response that's gone now, and it just feels like it feels like some matches are unhinged because you've got all those goals flying in. Saturday against Man United might be a case in point that. If there was a crowd in there, okay, fine, Newcastle might sort of have lost that game, but they might not have they might not have considered the amount of goals they did right at the end. I was I was talking to a Newcastle player about this quite recently, and it's about that it's about that whole idea of concentration and alertness and adrenaline and all those things that, you know, they rely on the crowd to provide them with that. It's not about not being good professionals, it's not about being bad at that, but you know, they're used to having that same adrenaline and that, you know, that same Feeling that they have to have to produce because they've got an instant reaction to it. Well, there's no there's no reaction at all now, and so everything feels skewed. It feels like score lines are skewed and results are skewed, and then the reaction we see to it afterwards is skewed.
2: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a very good point because. Certainly, the fourth goal and against Man United, the fourth goal that they scored, some of the Newcastle players have almost stopped and running, and I just don't think that would be accepted if there was a crowd there. No. And it's it's the body language that changes, and and yeah, as you say, at the minute, as much as I I know that Steve Bruce generally does want fans to be back in, but I think that on the opposite side of it, you could look at it and say, well, given the way some of the performances have been, given the way they played against Brighton and Manchester United, maybe. He'd be relieved in one sense that there that there isn't a crowd there to sort of to sort of to yeah. give him that as, as 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 close, and and be actually in the stadium so he can hear that. And I, but but I also think that because of that, that's where we also get this disconnect where the the head coach is getting annoyed about some things that are said, and I I don't think that the two way communication is really there, and that you can actually you can actually it, whereas if he could actually feel fans in the stadium and how they how they felt about the way that Newcastle are playing, and maybe that would that would result in more of a change as well. And I just think that. that it's it's the trend. It's the way that Newcastle are playing over a, over a consistent period of time. They're regularly shipping a lot of shots, particularly against their uh, in theory quote unquote better sides. They're no longer as defensively solid as they once were. wrote by the sort of the week so is that for the first two and a half years, maybe from after they got promoted, Newcastle would cede possession and territory but they were very defensively solid and so they would stay in the game and they didn't ship loads of chances whereas now that defensive solidity seems to have gone yet they still have that uh, they almost retreat and now it almost feels like well why don't you put a few more attacking players in there because you're not actually as defensively solid as you once were you're still not creating chances so you may as well have a few more attacking players on there so you can try and redress the balance a little bit.
1: Now, I did want to talk to you about chances because um, this is actually quite amusing, isn't it? Because why don't you tell, why don't you explain to people what you were doing for five hours last night? I mean, let's keep it, let's keep it, uh, you know, keep it, keep it polite.
2: <laughs> well, when Chelsea were playing in the Champions League and I saw about one minute of that game, I had it on the background, but I wasn't really watching it. I had my laptop set up and I had my tablet set up next to it. And I watched every single shot that Newcastle have conceded <laughs> so far. This season on on y Scout. Now I know that some places I think Opta says that Newcastle have conceded 86 shots. Well, y Scout had 83 for me to be able to watch. So I have watched back all 83 chances and gone through exactly how and why such uh, shots were able to be got off by the opposition and how strong they were, whether they were actually on so target.
1: Talking- you've you've binge watched.
2: I have binge-watched, yeah, binge-watched 83 Shots Conceded.
1: Is there, a, is there a second series in this, do you think? or?
2: I really, really hope not. I really hope that this is the, the very end and that this is cast into the... to the, I mean, I, I I love every single one who listens to to this podcast and who reads us, but I don't know if I love you enough to be able to do that again. So,
1: so I mean, this is incredible dedication, Chris, and um, very, very admirable... Really, pretty hilarious as well. The fact that you've you've done this, and you've actually taken a note about every single one of those chances, haven't you?
2: When I actually finished writing the little bit last night from for each of the chances, just so I could remind myself, so then I could try and find some trends from it that had more than five thousand words. So I've had to cut <laughs> that significantly, with more than five thousand words because there was just so many chances. Uh, that so number one,
1: answers. shit, gave the ball away, <laughs> gave the ball away, conceded possession, got shot off. Two gave the ball away shot off. and was it like that is it was it that sort of thing you were writing down or what that sort of
2: yeah essentially basically this the match situation that it was in so this piece again'll be it'll be up on, on the athletic by the time this podcast comes out um and so essentially I, I've tried to to look for trends as to, as to what where the shots have come about and this idea because Newcastle have conceded 83 shots according to Scout, but the, the the shots translation into goals conceded is not significant it seems that they aren't actually conceding that many chances and is that just because Carl Darlow's been very good because he's made 28 saves or is there is is there something about these chances that are being created against him are they not brilliant opportunities are teams shooting from distance and I've tried to find these trends and and essentially the conclusion I've come to is that at the moment, the majority of the chances Newcastle have, have actually conceded, the way that, 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 that the moves have, have actually uh, borne out, and the the decisions that the opposition teams, or Spurs, or Man United, Brighton, whoever, have made, the actual chance themselves, have, have, uh, most of them haven't been of a brilliant quality, so Darlow's made 28 saves, but for example against Manchester United on Saturday, I think he made 14 saves, and the majority of those were from fairly tame shots. So the the shots themselves at the minute aren't of concern. More of a concern is that the positions that Newcastle are seeding and the fact that they are allowing teams to have so many efforts on goal, eventually when they come up against a team who aren't as profligate in front of goal, they will concede more chances. A team who's more ruthless, they will will concede more goals because the main issues to come from it is just... Primarily that word again, passive. Newcastle are passive in they're pressing. they let the opposition have the ball. There's huge gaps on a regular basis between the midfield and the defence. They are conceding from set pieces as well, or they're conceding a lot of chances from set pieces, so, so that side of things isn't functioning brilliantly either. Sam Maxman and Lewis, when they play together on the left, obviously very exciting going forward, but Brighton, for example, exploited them down that side. Manchester United at the weekend with a 4-1-4-1 4-1 that Newcastle played just didn't work because all it did was was create that even bigger gap left isaac hayden to cover the entire midfield by himself john joe Shelby is someone i mentioned throughout It is just being he just is quite lazy in the way that he, he runs back and that allowed Juan matter to just basically run the game in those positions so the, the trend is 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 concerning that newcastle just give give the opposition too much of the ball in dangerous positions and eventually just like, as we said last season, with a lot of the metrics there, eventually that will translate into Newcastle conceding more goals.
1: You're absolutely furious, aren't you, Chris?
2: I, well, I, I am I am furious. I furious, mean, just, with taken, furious with uh, life. Furious with life. Well, I thought that this would be something that would just take me not too long yesterday, but then I ended up staying up till half past midnight doing that. Then I got up this morning thinking, oh, I could just file this, and then I realised, right, I've got eighty-three shots which I've written five thousand words on. I still haven't worked out what the trend is in that. How am I going to put this into an article? Trying to get different graphics to 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 show it. So it was it was not something I particularly enjoyed, but I, it it actually it has been fairly enlightening. It has it has matched what I thought from Saturday as well. Now, I know a lot of people are going to shout at me and disagree, and say Newcastle were absolutely awful on Saturday. And they were poor. I admit that they were poor, but I don't think it was, in terms of the chances that Manchester United translated into, I don't think that they were the quality of chance that, that a lot of people have made out that they were.
1: Have you seen the film The Shining? I have, yes. So I've just got this mental image of you, kind of your hair sticking up, Sitting in front of your typewriter with it saying, all work and no play makes Chris a dull boy, just over and over and over and over, <laughs> and over and over and over again. Hi, Brucey, I'm home. Yeah, marvellous. Well, I mean, you've gone above and beyond the call of duty in your in your diligence there. Is there a, I mean, is there a easy solution? I mean, I guess there isn't, is there? Because otherwise they would be doing it. But is, do you think that the, 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 the step forward is to be less passive, to be more front foot? And, and to kind of give that give that a go, is it as straightforward as that, or does it create problems elsewhere?
2: Uh, it definitely creates problems elsewhere, and we go back to Rafa Benitez's short blanket, that, that with, with a mid-table, lower half, mid-table, whatever you want to call it, squad, there are always going to be deficiencies, whatever you try and do one way or the other. But I just think that we've reached a stage where Newcastle are no longer defensively disciplined, and so that that being passive was seeding the pitch, but you knew that you weren't going to let loads of crosses get in the box. You weren't going to have that space between the midfield and the defence so that you weren't going to let someone like Man Juan Mata get in that position. That is no longer there. And so I just think rather than sacrifice some of the attacking players, as we've seen in recent weeks, we haven't seen Ryan Fraser start a game yet. That's partly been down to match fitness, but surely he's going to start featuring more soon. Same with Miguel Almeron. Rather than have... Uh, hendrick and joe linton playing right wing which which still baffles me i don't understand why he had his best games number 10 to move him to right wing where he was completely ineffective and just kept giving the ball away i think that putting more pace into the team putting more attacking threats into the team for a start it'll make the opposition think that they actually think about what newcastle can do alan saint Maximum won't then be the only threat so you you may have to leave more players back rather than commit more forward but also if they are going to concede chances well why not try and create some of their own at the other end instead Dead. So that would be my view, and I mean, you're going down to Wolves on Sunday. You're going to Molyneux, I believe, to, to, oh, to see I the am, game. Yeah. So, yeah, So, what would you like to see from Newcastle on Sunday?
1: I mean, I would just like not to see Wolves versus Newcastle United on Sunday. <laughs> I would just like to go back to. I would, I would just want to watch you on Twitter again. It's quite quite good fun. Um, well, no, I mean, I want to. I mean, Wolves are a, a kind of a great example. They've become a great example of a of a team that have come up and had a go and have a very sort of uh, set style of play, which is good to watch, and quite a tight-knit team and squad and have found a way of playing and a way of doing it very well and very successfully. What you want uh, from the Newcastle side of it is for there to be a reaction, and they've been okay at doing that over the last few years, and so you you want that to continue. But from a kind of aesthetic point of view, you want a bit more of what, we saw against Burnley as opposed to as opposed to Man United and it does feel like that there's a transitional I mean how many seasons can be described as transitional but it feels like we're going through a sort of different kind of transition okay fine Newcastle have come up they've stabilized they've stabilized they've stayed up again and this is you know they've obviously went through huge trauma when Benitez left and have had to all if not quite start again they're not far off and this is the time to this is the time to try and do something else and be something else, but you want there to be that consistency. And that is the one thing that is lacking at the moment from this team. There, I mean, it's always been a club that could give paracetamol a headache. And as a team, they're like that, they're like that now. Um, you need the players to take responsibility, you need them to Know what they're doing and then put it into a into a into effect. I mean, I I just think I think you're right. I think it's time to, I think it's time to switch things round and to try and find a do a decent different way of playing and then to stick with it.
2: If we're looking to be positive though, and if you count a penalty shootout win as a victory, then you have a hundred percent record going to Senior Castle so far this season, haven't you?
1: Yes, that's true. But I think that does count as a draw, though, doesn't it? We've had this discussion. Well, well they're unbeaten. they unbe- they're that's unbeaten officially. Then they're unbeaten yes unbeaten and no I am looking forward to it I've only seen Newcastle away from home this season um, but I kind of always quite look forward to it until I actually do it and then there is that I think I'm sort of more looking forward to the theory of it than the practice you know the theory of Morecambe away, the theory of Newport away, both should have been absolutely brilliant occasions, small occasions but big noise is how I kind of referred to it, and those two, those two kind of grounds should have been absolutely shaking, and of course they weren't, they were the opposite. Now Newport was still very very good and um, Newcastle were poor that night but got th- got through but there was still no sort of occasion and I think I'm looking forward to Wolves because it's been a while so I'm thinking oh yeah okay I'll, I'll that'll be good I'll enjoy it but I know that sadly I'm not trying to sort of I'm not trying to make this a hard luck story because I love I love watching football and very lucky to be able to go to these games but it does lack It lacks that human touch. It lacks lacks that human aspect, and it lacks the noise. It lacks the drama, and it lacks the occasion. So everybody is having to deal with that at the minute. Every club is having to deal with that. But Newcastle, you know, Newcastle need a response. It's a tough run of games coming up now. So um, need uh, need need hopefully to see a bit of improvement.
2: I would like to think that they would go to Wolves and be better than last weekend. They usually respond, but that's the problem. They need to stop having to respond. They need to just start oh, that's the a points.
1: very good point. yeah. Stop responding and start ponding
2: <laughs> I, I hope that's your in, uh, that's your intro on uh, on Sunday
1: might be. Right, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for listening to this nonsense. This has been Pod on the Tyne. Uh, hopefully we will have uh, Taylor back with us very, very shortly because I can tell you something, this is not easy. And I apologise if it hasn't met its usual high standards. Taylor, please come back. Uh, Chris, thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you very much for having me. And yes, I wish Taylor all the very best. I would love to hear from him soon. Thank you very much. We will chat to you soon. Ciao.